Smokey, this is not Nam, this is bowling. There are rules. Today, Junior! America! Steak. Four! Breakfast! So stand by! Jack Smith, the Michael Jordan of losing at the Supreme Court. Remember, he went, you know, eight no overturned when he tried to prosecute the Virginia governor back in the day as well. So he's no, you know, uh, he's, he's lost the Supreme Court many times before. But I think your point here is right. What Lisa was saying, this is about stopping Donald Trump. They're trying to take him off the ballot. They have taken him off the ballot in Colorado, trying to do it in a dozen other states. You know, they didn't even announce this. Let's, let's remember this. Donald Trump announced uh, his reelection in November of 2022. Three days later, a special counsel is put here. They wait 30 months to bring charges against them. Now they want to fast track, bypass the appeals court and the Supreme Court saw right through it. Jumping back into the news portion of our show in our second all new edition of the Steak for Breakfast podcast. I'm Ron Noah still here. Hey, hey, it was great wrapping up our last show with Dylan Law Group attorney Ron Coleman. And we're still got Substack author, law clerk, Paul Gracia coming in here and columnist who's doing some great work at Human Events. Newsmax and townhall.com. Kenny Cody on this all new edition of the show as well. So I think, you know, you have the Lisa Monaco interview portion of the news that we're talking about right before we jump in with Ron Coleman, who clarified some things for us. And then we come back with this narrative right here that kind of defeats what Lisa Monaco was talking about. And that's like, this is not politically driven. It's not politically motivated. It's not targeted at Donald Trump. Then why the fuck did you wait three years to bring these charges against him to assign special counsels two years and four months into when Donald Trump left office? And, and, and essentially, you know, a full year before the primary season hits, just so that all of these cases are actually going to trial right when it's the start of the first five primary events and ahead of Super Tuesday. I think you just answered your own question. Come on, Noah, give me a little commentary here. I mean, it's just bullshit. It's the the most. It is election tampering to the fullest. It's the truth. It's pretty wild, and and the way that this is kind of shaken out, it, it's tough to kind of, you know, glaze over everything that's going on in the campaign trail. I mean, Donald Trump makes so much content and commentary with the way he's delivering and all of his speaking events. And then you have all of these distractions. Now Fox news and the Koch brothers are popping up Nikki Haley as Ron DeSantis kind of meatballs off into the sunset. You've got Chris Christie kind of bull in the China shopping everywhere. And it seems like even he's become a defeated person. Now he's slipped all the way to like third in some polls and fourth in another in New Hampshire, where he assumes that he's going to make his last stand Figuratively and literally, it looks like that just might be the case. And then, you know, there's Vivek Ramaswamy who's hanging around in single digits, saying some of the right things that garner the attention and praise of some, but in the big scheme of things, it really doesn't matter to all the others. So, you know, when, when you see the way that this political season is shaping up and, and how, I guess the only real thing Lisa Monaco alluded to in her interview, toxic the environment is going to be, much of it, self-made by the Biden regime, it's going to be a wild ride to say the least. I mean, you have to take it uh, with a grain of salt and look at it that way. Don't you think, Noah? Yeah, absolutely. You got to zoom way out and look at this stuff. Not zoom calls like the ones we do our interviews on. Mm. I saw a South Dakota governor and VP hopeful, Christy Nome provide a little commentary here on some of the stuff that's going up with Donald Trump, the ruling in Colorado and what's going to happen at the Supreme court. It's going to be pretty interesting as well. We're going to have Paul and Gracia in at the end of this news segment, you know, he's all in for Tucker for VP Noah. And, and we've kind of laid out here how we feel Tucker is a legitimate wild card. The decision at the end of the day would be his, if Donald Trump, you know, tapped him to be the vice president. But I just think in the big scheme of things, Tucker's kind of put it out there that he's focused on other things right now, unless it legitimately is a disinformation campaign to keep him clean before Donald Trump decides to make that, Decision, what do you think? Oh, I think if he's not clean already, he's 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 been clean this entire time. Sure, sure. But, and I mean, you have to think that throwing somebody like Tucker on the ticket would probably gain a lot of voters because there's a lot of people that, like, yeah, maybe they don't like Trump, but, like, this guy actually speaks the truth. Yeah, it, it is the truth, and we'll be getting into that debate with Paul in just a bit. Let's hear the South Dakota governor talking about some of the recent rulings in the special counsel's. How in the world can a, a state Supreme Court try and convict an American citizen without the citizen ever having a say? I mean, in essence, that's what they did. They said he's an insurrectionist. They put him on trial internally and they convicted him and pulled him off the ballot. Your thoughts? Well, that's what's shocking. He's never been charged. He's never been convicted of this crime. Yet they decided to remove him from the ballot 
for those reasons. It's a breaking of our judicial system that we haven't really seen before. And what alarms me, Eric, is that the more they do this, the more normal it becomes in this country. You know, when they did it the first time, it's alarming. They do it the second, third, fourth time, people start to say, wow, that's strange. And after the 10th, 20th time, it becomes normal and nobody notices anymore. There it is. And so when they do these types of things, it is with a specific agenda to undermine our way of life. And they're doing it in a way that people don't even throw a flag anymore. They're not even going to throw a penalty flag eventually if we don't stand up and really ensure that justice is done here. So I hope the Supreme Court acts soon and quickly rectifies the situation so we send the message to the American public that you get to choose the next president. You are the ones who go to the ballot box and get the chance to elect who is going to be your leader. This is still going to be a republic, and we still have the scales of justice that matter in this country, and we're going to stand up for that. So I'm grateful we have the Supreme Court that we have because I do believe they'll do the right thing and they'll do it quickly. And she makes a lot of sense there. I also thought Christy Noem gave the best answer last week when Kellyanne Conway, who was sitting in for Boomer Sweats, Sean Hannity, tried to induce just such Boomer Sweats by asking her, well, now that Donald Trump's been taken off the ballot in such a blue state like Colorado, what do you think about red states who uh, might not like Joe Biden? Shouldn't they just take him off as well? And it's like, no. That's not how the process works. No, that would be, that'd be epically terrible move. Yeah. Why, why go tit for tat when the Supreme Court is going to rule that what's happened to Donald Trump in Colorado is unconstitutional? You don't want to be you know, conducting unconstitutional maneuvers against Joe Biden just for... Because you know, it completely validates what they're doing. Exactly. Doing things outside of the rule of law and without the speculation that it needs to be taken to, to make sure that the things are, number one, constitutional, number two, legal within the parameters that thereof... You, it just it doesn't make any sense. And first of all, I don't think anybody has the balls to stand up to the regime right now, even though there are some very pro-Trump governors out there like Governor Noam. It just seemed like her disinterest in it, you know, it would be doing a very big disservice to the Trump campaign and the job that they're trying to do to, number one, expose what's going on to them, and number two, stay within the parameters of doing the right thing. It just wouldn't make for what I think is good news. So I think that she answered correctly last week on Sean Hannity's show. I think she actually gave a good answer there as well that, you know, it's up to the Supreme Court. They've unconvened and will reconvene shortly after the new year. And hopefully we get a ruling regarding this Colorado Supreme Court ruling very shortly after that. Sticking in the thread of the weird multiverse that we kind of live in right now, we've already kind of touched on the primary. We're not going to get too much into it, maybe in our next news segment just a bit, is the economy. So we started off with Bidenomics, Noah, right? Mm -hmm. And that was hated. Terrible. Yeah. Widespreadly loathed. Mm. But, you know, as we kind of go into this election season, it seems that heading into the holidays, they've moved away from that. They don't want everybody being told that Bidenomics is working the way in the light. <laughs> but they did send out all of their junior political commentators to sit on all these shows who are being chaired by backup hosts and doing best of episodes to tell you, listen, Christmas might have cost you a little bit more this year. And even it's your though, fault. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> You're just not working hard enough. Let's hear how CNN uh, tried to frame it on one of their shows yesterday. Bullish or bearish on the economy for 2024? On paper, the U.S. economy actually looks pretty great. Oh. Not only the inflation numbers that you mentioned. Inflation has been coming down, obviously. Oh. It's still not where we want it to be, but it's doing much better. This is what Chris Wallace Employment, is doing these days. Employment uh, has been doing better than anyone expected. Many people expected, professional forecasters expected that we would have had a recession by now, and we have uh, escaped that, fortunately, so far. Um, and in fact, so not only are the numbers better than people expected a few months ago, they're even better on many dimensions than had been uh, forecast before the pandemic began. Like if you look at the Congressional Budget Office's uh, expectations for where employment would be, for where GDP would be right now, we have blown those numbers away. Yeah, because there's two jobs for every person now, you fucking asshole. For every boy and girl. Yeah. <laughs> it's wild. You know, and, and you're you're making your list, you're clocking in twice, you're trying to find out if Biden's naughty or nice. Come or you, on. Or if you're gonna have a stroke by the end of your second oh, shift. Oh, well, it depends. It's tough. And and listen, you know, me and Noah are very blessed to have good jobs. We both have good families as well. And and I'll be the first to admit it, this holiday season really kicked my ass financially and it wasn't because like the types of ways i celebrate the holidays changed too much it was 
spent with friends and family. I would I would say actually the, the social events were cut to an all-time minimum, to be honest with you. But, uh, you know, just in home, hosting and, and getting everything taken care of, and then obviously, you know, if you have small children, you want to be able to take care of them as well. It was just a kick in the ass this year. And, and one of those things where it doesn't look like it's going to get any better. And the way that that columnist kind of laid it out there when she kept saying to like, to this point or up to right now or, or, or in the near future, it's like, if you're bad little boys and girls and you don't buy into the Bidenomics and start telling everybody how great the economy is and you're going to get cut off at Johnson hit worse. Oh wait, no, that's your choice. Are we still talking about Michelle Obama? No, you just can't get off of him today. (laughs) Guys, wherever you're listening to the show, no matter what platform it's on, make sure you're subscribed to steak for breakfast helps us out big time. Massages, the algos makes us more present in the political podcasting suggestions and helps us out in the Apple top 100. In addition, we're on social media everywhere. Twitter, get our true social and Instagram, find the steak for breakfast account, follow us, hit the notification bell guys in this season of holiday spirit. Make sure you're sharing the podcast with everybody too. Give us a five-star rating, write a review on Apple, Spotify. Everything helps us out. Remember our podcast is always going to be 100% free. We'll never ask you for a damn thing other than just follow the show and make sure it's downloading to your electronic device. I've got one more quick hitter before we jump in with Paul and Grassi and Noah. And it's like the crown jewel of that mixed messaging. Joe Biden put out very little content over the Christmas holiday this year. But as they caught him outside of a store where he said he was doing some last-minute shopping up in Delaware, they challenged him with these abysmal economy numbers. You want to know what the 46th president had to say? What's he got? Let's check it out. About the economy, sir, what's your outlook on the economy next year? All good. Take a look. Start reporting it the right way. The right way? All good. Take a look. Start reporting it the right way. That's literally what he said to the reporter gaggle. I've got cue cards. Why don't you use yours? <laughs> Who am I going to ask a question for next? Mm. Listen, if you if you would listen to some of that commentary from CNN, would when you see the way state Supreme Courts are you know, taking Donald Trump and removing him from the ballot, giving him no due process, letting him never have a, a trial jury, or even going within the parameters of the Constitution, the man has never been charged or convicted with some of the things that they're saying he legitimately did. You can't not think the multiverse was real. Mm. We're going to be looking into a little 2024 projections in our next news segment, and we're about to sit in with law clerk and columnist Paul Ingracia. But before we do, let's check in with one of our partners. It's an unpleasant truth that 42% of Americans are obese and 79% of Americans are overweight. That's practically one in every two Americans living day to day with every minute counting down to the end of an unhealthy existence. It's time to change that and make Americans healthy again. You've probably heard about weight loss injections that can help you get back into that right mindset and help curb those cravings so you can focus on what's really important. New Hope Wellness has changed thousands of lives and maybe it can change yours too. They are American family owned and operated with the goal of saving lives. With convenient telehealth options, you can speak to a licensed professional from the comfort of your own home, and all products are delivered discreetly to your front door. Visit newhopewellness.com forward slash state and start your journey to a better you. That's newhopewellness.com forward slash state to get your free consultation and 100 bucks off your first order. 1-800-527-2150. Make America healthy again. All right, joining us next on the show today, this Big Tuesday edition of the Steak Breakfast Podcast. He's a law clerk over at the McBride Law Center. He's also a board member of the New York Young Republican Club. He also writes Donald Trump's favorite substack as well. Mr. Paul Ingrassi, welcome back to the show. I hope you had a Merry Christmas. Thank you, guys. It's great to be back, and Merry Christmas to both of you. Man, it's been a pretty busy week for America First, even though the news kind of downplays a little bit. It seems like things are ramping up right for Donald Trump. Obviously, we had the ruling in Colorado last week. We've got Jack Smith getting denied for a speedy trial by the Supreme Court. And then you look at some of these poll numbers, it seems like the mainstream media is kind to distance themselves from Ron DeSantis and now make more of a legitimate candidate, Nikki Haley. You saw recently the Koch brothers are going to be courting her. And then poll numbers which show Nikki Haley in places like New Hampshire within the margin of error, which we think are absolutely laughable. Paul, we know you're always watching this in 24-hour cycle as we do as well. What do you think seeing everything kind of develop through the holidays? Well, it's never-ending, that's for sure. It doesn't take a break for the holiday season, especially now as we ramp up sort of uh, primary season. We're less than a month away now. It's unbelievable from the Iowa caucus, which is on the 15th of January, and obviously the New Hampshire primary, which is on the 23rd. I was just there about uh, now, what, a week and a half ago for President Trump's rally in New Hampshire. And let me tell you, the enthusiasm was really off the charts. I mean, 
you had people coming out from all over, not just New Hampshire, but all across New England, Maine, Massachusetts, there to see the president speak in deep liberal blue uh, Durham, New Hampshire, which was a pretty sizable uh, town. It was um, a, a city or a town, whatever you want to call it, that that President Trump did not carry in either 2016 or 2020. So the fact that his momentum was so strong there and that so many people came out to support him, you know, a week before Christmas in the cold, uh, I think really speaks to um, just how much he's surging into uh, this primary season. So, you know, the, the sort of late last minute sort of um, attempt to rally behind Nikki Haley, the people like the Murdochs and the Koch brothers, as you mentioned before, and the D.C. political establishment, the Republican establishment, I think, you know, is just uh, an act of desperation. I don't think, you know, I think President Trump's uh, poll numbers in the state of New Hampshire are 30, 40 points at least above Nikki Haley, and that's the closest state. Um, so, you know, across the board, he's doing very well. And I think, um, you know, we'll, we'll begin to see these poll numbers materialize in real life and get some actual uh, results once we get past Iowa, New Hampshire and South Carolina. Hopefully that by then, we'll put to rest uh, all of this sort of uh, disinformation that's going on that um, any of these Republican uh, challengers like DeSantis and uh, Nikki Haley have any sort of viable shot against him. Yeah, I think there's an awfully large reckoning coming for all of these people who have been proprieting these fake numbers, all the internal staffers who have been making up stories, everything from things going wrong within Donald Trump's campaign, which just are blatantly not true, all the way up to both Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley's team kind of yeah. pushing her into a VP conversation, what I just think is completely manufactured, then promoted by right. the mainstream media, which I think is just news click worthy and, and nothing outside of the reality. I think by the time we get through the first two primaries, there's going to be a big reckoning and a lot of people are going to be second guessing the campaign strategies that they tried to and failed to use against Donald Trump. Um, yeah, well, just quickly, by my tally, he called her bird brain like 15 <laughs> times during that New Hampshire speech. So that doesn't sound like the type of guy that was going to pick uh, Nikki Haley, not just as her, his VP, but, you know, within uh, the cabinet or, or even within the, you know, RNC chair or whatever, you know, like she's not uh, going to be part of the Trump movement moving forward she's exiled and you know the fact that they're pushing this narrative is from the desantis people really these are the ones peddling this disinformation yeah he did put out a heater on true social yesterday i'm going to read it right now no you're going to like this one this is about poll numbers just out 538 polling average as of december 23rd trump 62.4 percent and he gets into it desanctimonious 11.7 percent bird brain Mm. 10.8 ramaswamy because Vivek likes them, 4.0%. Sloppy Chris, 3.1%. Ada, zero. There is no Haley surge except against Ron or DeSanctus bounce. Fake news is all you get. Mm. And it seems like we just kind of can all agree that's the way we're going there. Paul, before we talk about uh, potential vice presidential candidates, which I think is quickly becoming your area of expertise and a lot of the commentary you provide, especially through your Substack, I do want to pass out the flowers where flowers were due. Just over a week ago, you guys held the 111th gala for the New York Young Republican Club. You sit on the board there. You guys put together one of the most phenomenal, if not the crown jewel of gala season. Uh, the guests of guests, obviously, Donald Trump was there as well. Can you just tell our listenership a little bit about what went into that and what the experience was like from your vantage point? Yeah, it was a fantastic evening. We, we kind of, you know, I give so much credit as well to Gavin Wax, the president of the New York Young Republican Club, who really spearheaded sort of this MAGA movement uh, within young Republican clubs across the country, setting the model for D.C. and other Republican clubs as well. And of course, Vish Burra and Nate Berger and all, all the people involved in putting together this gala it was really a throwback to, you know, something that you don't really see anymore. And I think President Trump was taken by surprise in a positive way. Um, you know, there's just how ritzy and glamorous and how, you know, opulent this whole thing was. Um, and he really, really enjoyed himself. I, I, as I said, you know, a little while ago that I was in New Hampshire about a week later, but, you know, it just seems like President Trump was really um, on his A game there in New York City. Um, you know, this is his home city. This is where he lived for the first, you know, <laughs> virtually 70 years of his life. So, um, you know, and, and unfortunately, the city has gone down the tubes, as we know, it's 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 gone to hell. Um, and and he, every single, you know, time he's returned to New York City since departing uh, the White House has been, you know, for court appearances and to see 
you know, Letitia James's face and, and all this other nonsense. So the fact that he had a welcoming uh, return uh, in the heart of deep blue Manhattan, I think um, d- reinvigorated him and really inspired him. And, you know, the gala was phenomenal. It was well attended. Um, you had, you know, Bannon there, Matt Gates there, many other uh, Rudy Giuliani received, you know, a very, very warm welcome. And, you know, what what he's going through right now, sure. they're, they're through, him through hell. So um, it was a it was a strong um, showing. And I think it, it was symbolic of um, not only the fact that, you know, it, I, I'm I'm also arguing that, you know, New York, we could turn this into a competitive potentially Republican state as soon as next year if we um, really put in the work. Um, but that, that's sort of another story that, that we'll maybe talk about later on. But, you know, I, I think, um, you know, it, it's it was a great way to sort of wrap up the year, a year that's had a lot of hardships and challenges. And, and it's definitely setting the stage for um, a very strong uh, push into 2024 for President Trump and for the movement, uh, more broadly speaking. No, it was a phenomenal event. Just watching it from the outside. Obviously, we had Gavin on last episode. You're here today. Vish will be joining us on Friday. We have a great relationship with the New York Young Republican Club and, and many other ones. Kingsley and the job she's doing down in D.C. We're going to have yep. some representatives from the Arizona Young Republicans in for the first time on Friday as well. It's just the youth movement within side of the America First movement is one of the things not talked about enough, in my opinion. And the job that you guys done of, of being at the forefront of the fight right now is something I'll always make sure I compliment you guys for being being, especially when you come on the show with us. All right, Paul, let's talk about this VP race right here. So over the last couple of months, Noah and I have pushed people like Dr. Ben Carson or Christy Nome, both formidable candidates, but at the same time, we have seen others inside the movement. Now that he's completely decoupled from Fox News and getting the Tucker Carlson network kicked off, Tucker Carlson obviously is coming to the forefront of the VP debate as well. That's someone that you seem to have attached your wagon to and would love to see as running on the ticket with Donald Trump. Let's hear your insight into this uh, and make the case for Tucker Carlson here on steak for breakfast today yeah well the analogy i've been using and uh, i don't know if people will even get this reference anymore but in new york city when george steinbrenner used to own the new york yankees he wanted to put together like the most powerful star-studded team you know it didn't matter if he if a rod was you know and jeter were both short stops like if that's the best guy in the free agent market you want to combine them together and that's how you get a winning team so that's kind of how i was thinking of it i think you know no other person offers the star power from my vantage point that would be a viable candidate um, for VP than Tucker Carlson. I mean, this is a guy who obviously has skin in the game. He's He was, you know, unceremoniously sort of ousted out of Fox News by the Murdoch family. Um, so he's, he's made enemies with the same people who are enemies of Donald Trump and the MAGA movement, broad, more broadly speaking, the Republican establishment. Um, but, you know, we can... Unlike maybe someone like Vivek Ramaswamy, who seems good um, in terms of his politics and everything, uh, Tucker has been around for much longer. We we could sort of document not only where he made his fortune and his money. You know, he, he was in media for many years, and obviously um, he, he had some personal wealth that he inherited. But, you know, and we also understand his politics. He's been around for decades. Um, you know, he never served in public office. Um, which I think is a good thing to, for him. You know, he, he's a he's an outsider, much like Donald Trump, and he commands audiences' attention. He's able to um, sort of supplement what Donald Trump can do. Um, you know, in the rally circuit, uh, you know, in the media, by um, making politics easily understandable for a lot of people and also entertaining. Uh, I, I uh, wrote a Substack that you're referencing. Um, you know, where I included a speech that he recently did in Wisconsin. And, you know, he kept the audience's attention for over an hour and few other people in politics could do that. Certainly, um, you know, I, I can't think of really any politician who who could do that, even, even like someone like Carrie Lake, who's great in her own right. Sure. And, and, but, uh, you know, I, I don't think anyone could command sort of the authority that Tucker Carlson can. And that's that's the reason why I think he would make the strongest candidate by far. I think he's loyal and, and and I think he offers also political protection for Trump in the event they try to, you know, continue these legal, um, ridiculous, you know, nonsense against him, whether indictments, investigations or whatever else they might try to throw at him. You know, Tucker Carlson, if they have to, if they try to take remove Trump, they're going to have to deal with Tucker, who I think is pretty much as strong as Trump on, on all the major issues. And thus, they'll maybe think uh, twice against, you know, trying to, um, you know, create difficulties for Trump. 
No, it's a good argument. And, and then when you talk about, you know, becoming an outsider like Donald Trump always has been, you have Tucker Carlson quickly reestablishing himself as like, we always call it the scales being removed from his eyes after being part of the media for so long. I mean, he right. talks about it in a lot of his speaking events. Like, I was lied to for decades and, and I believed it. And I would fight people if I thought that what they were telling me was, was what I was saying was a lie. And I think it's great for him to, you know, hold himself to some accountability on some of the stuff that he's provided over the years and how he's moved on to, you know, uh, a lot of people gave him shit for that piece he put out on Christmas Day with Kevin Spacey, but if you think about the character that Kevin Spacey was in, the context of it, and where it is in the big scheme of this election season, it was like a textbook perfect troll for anyone who is anyone that's like a political insider. I, I thought, first thing, after watching all seven minutes of it, was, okay, first of all, bravo, kind of a little bit of cringe at being Kevin Spacey, but at the same fact, it's not Kevin Spacey, it's him playing his character on House of Cards, and if you just knew who that guy was, it fits in perfectly in the narrative that we're talking about, heading into this election season yeah i mean I, I didn't i actually didn't see that video but you know let me be clear there donald trump is in a class of his own there's Correct. no comparison or rival to donald trump you're not going to replicate that but you know in terms of the second tier talent i think tucker carlson is is the best of what's out there I, and i think he is by significant margins not just you know a little bit better i think he is um, sort of the second best out there. So that's why if you look at the complete package, you know, he he, he makes mo some mistakes. He wasn't always, you know, on certain issues in the past, um, you know, 100% great. But, you know, I think overall, he's definitely come around and he's come a long way and he, he's taking the personal blows for it. He's made those career uh, sacrifices personally for it. And, um, you know, I think he would, uh, for all those reasons, make for a very uh, strong Pick and I also don't think he'd bring in a staff like Mike Pence that would <laughs> no. work internally to subvert and undermine uh, President Trump and his agenda. You know, which was the case really all throughout the four years in which Trump was in office. And also, I think if Tucker were in that situation where you know, like Mike Pence, where he had to potentially you know was asked to certify the results of an Ill illegitimate election, I can't see him. Uh, doing that. I could definitely um, see Tucker Carlson asking some questions on it. All right, Paul, I got one more question for you. It's a follow-up to this one, and it's probably one that you haven't been asked yet. So one question that everyone's going to be asking shortly after Election Day of next year when Donald Trump wins back the White House is going to be, what happens next for America First? Obviously, we know through the well-laid-out Agenda 47 what the four years following next year's election is going to look like. However, I do want to ask you this question. It's one that you might have to think about a little bit, too. Is it Donald Trump's job to pick the eventual successor for America first, or is it the movement that should be at the same time kind of producing that cream to rise up to the top to give him more of an opportunity to choose from? Because when you talk about potential VP picks for Donald Trump, it kind of separates it down to a very low amount of people when it looks like who could actually take the keys during the Trump administration after next year and heading into 2028 pick up the mantle of America first and run with it, continuing on that message, continue on that legacy for hopefully decades to come. What do you think? Yeah, I know. It's an interesting question and it's something that I'd have to give a little bit more thought into, you know, the bottom line is we only have now 11 months between now and next November. So if someone's going to emerge, I, I can't see like a superstar like Trump emerging between now and then that we don't already know about, you know? Um, so I think, unfortunately, Donald Trump, you know, it, you know, it's a lot of responsibility and weight on one man's shoulder. But I think he's going to have to try to guide the ship in terms of succession as well, because if he wants to think about his own legacy and preserving this whole enterprise, this 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 whole movement that he uh, started back in 2015, you know, he's going to have to think of in those terms. He may not have to do so, you know, right now and, and over the next, you know, 12 months but once he gets into office that this might be uh something that he has to think of uh, notwithstanding the vp pick and i think obviously that's very important as well that's why i'm trying to push for tucker carlson but you know in terms of what has to be done in terms of the movement more broadly and what we can do as people uh, as uh supporters i think um you know the state republican parties have to be there has to be a total cleaning of the house yep. in terms of all these state republican parties and obviously donald trump can help with that 
uh, in terms of providing like lists of people he'd ideally want to replace the uh, people who are currently in power, such as, you know, these people in New York State, for example, where I am, uh, who are very much still, you know, Nikki Haley supporters and part of the Republican establishment. And uh, and that will go into also the delegate process and how we ultimately decide who uh, represents the delegates for Donald Trump going into next summer's uh, uh, Republican National convention. But, you know, unfortunately, there is a lot of responsibility on Donald Trump um, to to help sort of guide the ship, um, just because, you know, there really, as you said, there there isn't too much, um, you know, leadership, at least in power right now. I mean, there are people like me and Gavin, but we're still kind of <laughs> making our way through the system, you know, in terms of the people who are well established already, um, you know, older, maybe in their 40s, 50s, 60s, not too many out there, unfortunately. And that's kind of also the reason why the country is in such dire crisis, because we really have a lack of leadership, a lack of statesmanship uh, across the board. But, you know, um, you know, I think if we could bind together as a coalition, rally the support behind Donald Trump, get a good VP in there and hopefully clean house at the RNC and within each of these uh, states, starting with the swing states like Pennsylvania, Arizona and Georgia, and then expanding to other states, I think is a good start to preserving the legacy um, beyond Trump's four years in office. Oh, it's the truth. And listen, you guys got to give yourself a little bit more credit. You guys are right at the tip of the spear as far as we're concerned. We'd like to promote it and love the insight that you all provide here on the show. It, it's it's a lot of stuff to talk about, Paul, but I, I think you provided a great little layout for where we could be going for here. That's why we always like to bring you on, especially during this joyous holiday season. We're going to be live linking everything that you're involved with in our show description today. Obviously, the Law Center, everything that's going on at the New York Young Republican Club, your Substack, which of course is Donald Trump's favorite, and the work that you do as a board member and one of the founders of the Italian American Civil Rights League, yep. <laughs> something that we're uh, extremely proud of what you're doing as well. But for everyone that wants to follow you on social media, where can they check you out? So my all my handles are at Paul Ingrassia, P-A-U-L-I-N-G-R-A-S-S-I-A, and my Substack is paulingrassia.substack.com. As you just heard, this guy wears a lot of hats for America First. It's always a MAGA one, though, and we're really excited and always honored when we could sit down with Mr. Paul Ingrassia. Thanks for joining us on the show today. Have a very happy new year. Thank you. You too. You guys as well. You've said that this is by far the most important issue this country faces today. Tell us why. Well, it is a clear and present danger to America. It's obvious. I mean, we're getting numb to the numbers. Uh, you laid out the case quite well in your opening, uh, but six million people since the start of the Biden administration have come into this country illegally, and we don't know where they are. 1.7 are what they call known gotaways. That's a misnomer because we detected them, but we have no idea who they are. We don't know where they are either. And this is impacting people that in, in, in a largely unseen fashion. Uh, I, I want to really ask your listeners to consider, let's say you're Customs Border Patrol agent on the border, and you're having to deal with, like on Monday, 14,509 migrants coming in. And that wasn't just a one-day occurrence. That's occurring day after day after day, 24-7. It never stops. And so this is completely out of control. You have an administration, unfortunately, that just calls it a challenge. You know, the challenge we have in dealing with this administration is they caused the problem. They are the root cause. They want an open border. So I appreciate the fact that they're going down to Mexico to maybe try and do something about this. But that's like three years too late. Again, the, the horse is already out of the barn here. The, the implication this has for large and small communities. You, you hear Mayor uh, Adams in New York saying it's going to destroy a city. 100,000 migrants, that's less than 2% of the 6 million. In small towns, for example, one in Wisconsin, a town of 15,000, they had over 400 children in their school system that are migrant. They don't speak even the same dialect as Spanish, so they have to hire additional interpreters. It's overwhelming law enforcement that also can't understand these individuals when they're making calls. So this is under the surface. It's unseen. It's unreported. The repercussions of this massive, unprecedented flow are going to be with us for years, probably decades. This is a disaster. Well, I that was Wisconsin Senator Ron Johnson. We love when he provides some content on the show, he would jumped on mornings with Maria on Christmas Eve talking about the disaster on the U.S. southern border. We've got some numbers that we're going to talk about in just a second. But, Noah, I do want to throw it over to you. Unsustainable is a term that you use frequently on the show when you're talking about this migrant invasion. Yeah. 
He referenced some of the low-end numbers. I'm more of a, we've already allowed 10 million people into this country that have been apprehended and passing the 3 million mark for known gotaways. Those seems to be numbers that are more consistent with what's actually being reported by some people who know what's going on from inside the intelligence community, those who you know, frequent our show that are working down on the border. And you want to talk about, I mean, we're, we're nearing five Nebraska's worth of illegals allowed into this country with some getting notices to appear in court to make their asylum claim all the way up to 2031 and 32 right now Let's there's talk. no way to get rid of people after that point they've already established themselves like what, what are they going to do live in a hotel no they're gonna they're gonna get apartments they're gonna bang out kids they're gonna do everything that they would normally do in another country when that country would give them benefits for having more children and in and t- and t- talking to a lot of our border experts here on the show how much harder is it once you have a child in the United States as a, a mother and father who are illegals to remove them from the country once that kid is born. I mean, from all the reporting that we've heard, it's nearly impossible, right? That's, that's Isn't that the term, anchor baby? So in addition to getting all their free stuff, that's the $5,000 gift cards, which probably just goes straight into the hands of the cartels. It's like an untrackable way to, to secure that payment for the you know enormous human trafficking operation that... Senator Johnson referenced Blinken and Mayorkas are going down to Mexico City tomorrow to ask the president of Mexico to please stop letting all these people in the country. Don't come. There's all, <laughs> I'm going to come. There's also a new migrant caravan. It started out at about 10,000 men all on the way here, which should be here in the next couple of weeks. You know, those things never get smaller on the way up to the United States. So you can only imagine how many people are going to be in that mess by you know, the time like, it gets here. You know, like when you watch those movies and there's just like the hordes of people that are marching towards like the, the castle walls or the parapets or whatever you want to call it. That's what we're seeing right now. Yeah. Except the drawbridge is wide open. It's, it's awful. Unsustainable is definitely where you're at. But, you know, one of the things that Ron John said – and I think it's the there there. The American public is getting numb to this. And it's like, not that they don't care, but they hear these astronomical numbers. And as long as it's not directly on their front porch yet, they just don't seem to care as much. Well, they hear these numbers and it doesn't affect them yet. But what we're looking at is decades and decades and decades of taxes going up to, to cover these social programs. They're going to have to deal with these people. Not to mention the readily available drugs and stuff that are in this country, like there's going to just be massive widespread homelessness and roving bands of people stealing. Like, you know, you, you, you understand like junkies like maintain their junkiness by robbing and stealing and then selling that shit to somebody else to buy more drugs. Right. Yeah. Like the, yeah. Like residential burglaries going to go through the roof. It's going to be a mess. You know what happens when there's a residential or, or let's just say like a mugging on the street and, and the person is reluctant to give up their personal belongings, what also happens a lot of times as well. Mm, yeah. Well, and then we've already seen stories where there was actually dedicated bands of people that were literally robbing in order to pay off the cartel smugglers and the coyotes. We've got some news from the border today, which includes some numbers. This is breaking as of this morning. U.S. Customs and Border Protection sources reportedly tell Fox News that there have been over 730,000, that's three-quarters of a million, migrant encounters at the U.S. southern border since October 1st of this year. Are they counting all of them? That's just the, the, the broad number that they put out there. No, but I mean, like, are those numbers of people that are coming in in unauthorized way? And even though the authorized ways right now are completely illegal and against what our country stands for, I'm wondering what those numbers are actually being purported as. That's a good question. I've got a, a little bit of a follow-up on that. But first, let me finish this. That's more than the population of the city of Denver mm. arriving at the U.S. southern border in less than three months. December is on pace again to smash November's record that was set as the highest number of illegal encounters ever reported. Now, I was asking someone we know who talks to the show who kind of dives into this stuff, might have a little bit more of a knowledge base than we do here. They have able to confirm that chartered flights, not the ones that are getting put on Delta and American Airlines, just chartered flights from areas in and around the U.S. southern border to the interior of the United States in the last three years, 9,200 government-funded flights of ushering these people 
from places in Texas and Arizona and California to the interior and all over the United States. Tax funded. So that means you're paying for it. Yep. You're paying for their meals. You're paying for their phones. You're paying for their new clothes. You're paying for their gift cards. You're paying the cartels. We also broke the monthly record. This is also breaking this morning. CBP, that's Customs and Border Protection Sources, confirm that migrant counters have for the first time surpassed 250,000 for the month of December on pace to break the previous record set in November at 269,735. Remember, there still is a work week left in the month of December. Yeah, that's, those are rookie numbers. Let's uh, let's not bump those numbers up. A majority of those, over 66,000, have entered through Arizona's Tucson sector in Lukeville this month and another 60,000 have entered through Texas in the Del Rio sector, Eagle Pass, the more commonly used route. And those are based on the fact that the border wall wasn't completed in those areas, right? Yep. Well, they've actually shut down ports of entry in both Texas, one of the bridges, and in Lukeville, one of the ports of entry, where people from both sides of the border use legal entry to cross into, you know, present their documentation, either go to Mexico or come back to the United States. Those are now migrant housing stations because they can't bus or fly them out of those areas fast enough based off lack of resources. So again, that's that's people that are abiding by the rules and immigration laws of the United States that are being punished for this, this administration just going willy-nilly into the fucking ether with their interpretations of legality and asylum claims. Yeah, it was pretty wild. So now all these people have to drive even further to go conduct their business on either side of the border. I wonder, I wonder what kind of uh, additions to their, to their travel and processing at the other locations are from that. It's the truth. And if you're looking to forecast into the new year, it doesn't look like the numbers on the U.S. southern border are going to be getting any better. Actually, the the projections are way, way, way worse. And and we will be surpassing 15 million people just led into this country, I think, by at least the middle of next year, if not sooner. Jumping into the election cycle, you know, Vivek Ramaswamy made news last week coming out as one of the first to talk about the Colorado ruling against Donald Trump, removing him from the ballot there. Vivek also said he'd be removing himself from the ballot. Not like it matters. It's blue state on the Republican side. And in that primary, Donald Trump is more than likely and for surely to win it. He jumped on mornings with Maria right after Ron John did. He was joined by his wife to talk about a little commentary on that. Let's hear it. Why did you say you will remove your name from the ballot? Tell us what this decision from the Supreme Court of Colorado means today. Well, it's an unconstitutional and flagrant violation of the way we conduct elections in this country, Maria. This is not the way we do things in the United States of America. We, the people, are the ones who select our leaders, not unelected cabals of Democrat judges in back offices. Now, the reason I made the statement I did, Maria, is very practical. If every Republican in the Colorado GOP primary also says we're not participating, then this blatant act of election interference has no impact. So I wanted to lead by example to say that if they are going to forcibly remove Trump's name from that ballot, then I would voluntarily remove myself, too, and called on Chris Christie and Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis to do the same thing. I have to say I was disappointed to hear radio silence or worse from those other candidates who said they wanted to still collect their delegates. I think there's no point in actually collecting a small number of delegates if we're tolerating this level of blatant election interference. But I am a problem solver. I think that that is one way the Republican Party can solve this problem. And, you know, within minutes of my hearing this, that's exactly what I felt was the right move to make. And so I announced that. And I say this to somebody, Maria, I am running to win this election. It would be a lot easier for me, for us, if Donald Trump weren't in the race to win. But what are we winning for? It's to protect a constitutional republic. And that's the first principle we have to stand for above all. So, well, that- well, again, saying the right things doesn't really mathematically fit into the equation of the big scheme of things. This is Donald Trump's race to lose. And he's been doing nothing but running well ahead of the front ever since the beginning of it. But, you know, people who check their egos and put it aside, I think there goes a little bit to saying that. No, what do you think? You know. I know you've liked some of the things Vivek Ramaswamy has said, but I, I I do think it's it's good that he kind of puts ego as like second, his race is like second when talking about the constitutional legalities of things and pr- preservance of the republic overall. Oh, it's great that he's doing that. I mean, it, it sets it sets the right precedent for all the other people who aren't going to go and follow through and do that. And it really makes the other candidates look bad if they don't. And like Ron DeSantis has already said, I'm not going to do that. Why would I do that? 
they're 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 doing this to Donald Trump so he could win. They're it's hurting my campaign. Yeah, this is not fair. The free state of Florida. Free state of Florida. My my boot lifts. Alligator boot lifts. I saw one the other day. You've heard of Elf on the Shelf. Oh. And it was a picture of Ron DeSantis where you could clearly see his lifts through his pants. It's like lifters on a grifter. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. There was a lot of good Ron DeSantis uh, content out there over the holiday break. Kudos to all of our meme makers. And then the Dilly meme team who just continues to kill it. Circling back to a little bit last week, keeping it in the projecting 2024 races here. You know, we had a great discussion with Paul Ingracia on the legitimacy of Tucker Carlson being a potential VP pick just before this new segment. I do want to go back to a clip he had when he was at AmFest last week and, and all of these rumors that have been started by both the DeSantis campaign and Nikki Haley's team in conjunction with the mainstream media propping her up as a potential candidate and, and someone that would be forced on Donald Trump as a VP pick. Tucker wasn't really having it when asked about it. Let's check it out. The country I grew up in who endorsed the BLM riots and who is... Not only is, is not left, but is neoliberal in the darkest, most speaking of nihilist, nihilistic mm-hmm. way, and has no real popular support. Is a, is a creature of the oligarchs. So yeah, that would be that would be reason to oppose the ticket. Even Trump, Haley is a no go. Nikki Haley. He would get assassinated immediately if that were the case. Yeah, and by the way, I just can't imagine a world where that could happen. That would be so crazy. I mean, anything could happen, of course, but picking Nikki Haley. Um, who's utterly treacherous and utterly dismissive of, like, the interests of Americans. Yeah. It's a no-go for me, uh, but it's a yes for BlackRock. <laughs> mm. Did you hear somebody kind of float Christy Noman there? He didn't answer on it uh, during that clip. You know, it's one of those things where, I mean, I just think when you lay everything out there and just look at, like, you know, big board politics, you've got Christy Noman, Ben Carson, I think, who are legitimate contenders. Tucker Carlson's also a legitimate contender. But, but you know, he's just getting the network started. He's just getting his footing back into his own media empire and reclaiming that. He's got such a vast reach on X. And- I, th- I think if, even if he had to, like, take a break from his new media mogul uh, empire-ness, he'll, he'd be fine. Well, that's the thing, too, though, Noah, but do you think that Tucker Carlson, who's never been in politics before, not only wants to be the vice president for the most controversial politician in the history of the republic, in addition, be handed the keys to the mantle of the America First movement for four or eight years after that, making it like, you know, over 12 years total with campaign seasons? I mean, what does a vice president really do? But it's Tucker Carlson. I know, but that's why he could just be Tucker Carlson. That's true. You know, I I, I definitely think he's a wild card. I, I think it would be hard for him to say no if tapped. But I'm still going to stay in, in the, you know, field over here where I think Christy Nome and people like Ben Carson have a lot more viable uh, opportunity to become that vice presidential candidate. But then, hey, then again, what do we know? Coming out of the primary field and heading into the new year, we are going to be obviously doing a lot of coverage on the Republican Congress. It's one of the things we do here the most on the show. We're going to have Representative Corey Mills in with a post-holiday message. And on our Friday edition of the show, he was caught up in some travel today, and that's why he didn't join us. But I did see some commentary on what's going on up on Capitol Hill and looking into the new year. Let's check it out. In the Speaker's letter, it contains a list of demands and... Catch and this is language in the letter and catch and release, limit parole granting, pursue third country agreements, reinstitute remain in Mexico policy, limit employment authorization documents, on and on and on and on. Uh, resume border um, wall construction. Max, the White House fired back at Johnson's letter uh, with a statement calling uh, um, House Republicans in action on the border, calling it out point by point. Why such a strong pushback from from the White House now? I think what you're seeing is they don't want Speaker Johnson to negotiate, to dictate these negotiations, right? They're very happy with happening. what's happening in the Senate right now. This is a big priority for the administration, getting Ukraine funding, getting Israel funding, Taiwan Ugh. funding in exchange for some of these border measures. What Speaker Johnson is calling for in that letter goes too far in the White House's mind, especially I think that border wall construction point, which you brought up, that's a very big Trump era policy, which Democrats as a whole 
strongly opposed. Mm -hmm. And so where are things with the Senate negotiations? I know I remember seeing in Punchbowl a few days ago that um, Senator Murphy, uh, Chris Murphy of Connecticut, is going to take just a day and a half (laughs) off uh, for the for the Christmas holiday, but is going to be back at it in negotiations. Where do things stand? They're still talking, but there's still no agreement. Correct. They're continuing to meet virtually even as the Senate has adjourned for the year, but there's still no final agreement. And there's a pessimism, in my opinion, among insiders on the Hill that this deal can even come together, just given the tight timeline, right? They're going to come back in January. There's going to be that government funding deadline in around a week and a half as soon as they get back. And immigration, that's one of the hardest things to agree upon in Washington in this short time frame. I'm not sure they can get a deal. Well, you know, it's not a hard thing on securing the border, which is what the actual focal point of those negotiations are and what nobody in the Democrats said, it, including leadership with Chuck Schumer, all the way up to the White House wants to talk about. So just remember, when this continuing resolution runs out, as does the funding, and Speaker Mike Johnson wants to shut it down, this is going to be Joe Biden and his administration's fault. When, when is that? First week of January is the first step of the ladder. I believe February 9th is the last step. And we're talking about, you know, appropriations and funding for certain facets of the government there heading towards the eventual what I think is going to be a shutdown if we can't get any movement on this border security bill. Guys, last call. Wherever you're listening to the show today, make sure you're following us. Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or iHeartRadio. Hit the plus button. Hit the follow button. Make sure the Steak for Breakfast podcast is downloading to your electronic device. And then across social media, Twitter, get our true social and Instagram. Find our accounts. Follow him and hit the notification bell. Getting ready to jump in with columnist Ken Cody right now. But before we do, and in our last audio clip of the day, this is going to go back to what Noah was talking about at the top of our first episode of the show today. Where do we go from here? And what are the possibilities of something big happening in between that? Well, Catherine Herridge had some ideas about it as she jumped on the news on Christmas Eve. I thought it was a good clip. I thought Noah would enjoy it as well. Let's check it out. Mine's a little dark. I just feel a lot of concern that 2024 may be the year of a black swan event. This is a national security event with high impact that's very hard to predict. Um, There are a number of uh, concerns that I have that factor into that. Not only this uh, sort of enduring heightened threat level that we're facing, uh, the wars in Israel, also Ukraine. And we're so divided in this country in ways that we haven't seen before. And I think that just creates fertile ground for our adversaries like North Korea, China, and Iran. And that's what uh, concerns me most. Well, no, without even knowing that that clip was in the show today, you kind of alluded to it. We're running out of options here and ways to stop Donald Trump. A black swan event, either one that major league affects the markets or obviously national security, both domestically and internationally, is something that could throw a wrench into the election system heading into 2024. But, you know, you have one of the biggest reporters up on Capitol Hill who covers everything from the executive office all the way down to the House of Representatives on a pretty regular basis and has a big footing in geopolitics, kind of calling it like we all think it is. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I mean, the, the, the whole thing of a black swan event is that it's something that was basically inevitable that, you know, it's not a surprise that it happened, but here it is. And here it is. She kind of lays it out there all for us. And, and obviously we're going to be continuing to track this. We're going to bring in some of the experts, everyone who works in the economy and the supply chain, all the way up to our geopolitical experts like Colonel McGregor and Colonel Manus uh, in here in the meantime, kind of setting that stuff up for you. We have so many veterans who have gone on to write New York Times bestselling books, et cetera, that can provide insight as well. And then our congressmen and women who frequent the show that are going to kind of all frame this for you as maybe it comes to light in real time. We're going to be jumping in with columnist Kenny Cody right now to wrap up our second edition of the show today. But before we do that, let's check in one more time with one of our partners. Friends, I want to take a minute and talk to you about cigars. Whether you're on the golf course, fishing on the lake, or doing some yard work around the house, our friend Alan has got you covered. He's launched the Patriot Cigar Company. The tobacco is handpicked in the fields of Nicaragua, right next to where Mike Lindell picks his coffee beans. The cigars are hand-rolled each three years. If you get a promo code STAKE here, you're going to get 15% off your total order. Every order over $100, free shipping, and a $10 e-gift card is included with every purchase. MyPatriotCigars.com, that's MyPatriotCigars.com, a premium smoke for freedom-loving patriots. All right, joining us next on the show today, this big Tuesday edition of the Steak for Breakfast podcast. He's a columnist. He does some great work over at Human Events, Newsmax, and TownHall.com. He's also been called really smart by the 45th president of the United States, Donald J. Trump. Welcome back to the show, Mr. Kenny Cody. 
Merry hey Christmas. guys, how are you? Good, good, good to have you. Appreciate you all having me on, and uh, yeah, hope you all had a very, very Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you too, sir. It's been a busy time of the year for those who write, and you've been cranking them out uh, just about as fast and well as anybody out there. I do want to touch on a couple of your pieces of work. You sent me a few yesterday. I had a chance to read them over. You know, heading into uh, Christmas time here, and, and and on last week's show, we kind of went with the narrative of where Speaker Johnson is. We've had a couple House representatives come in here over the past couple episodes that kind of agree with Matt Gates that he gets an incomplete right now, and Speaker Johnson will be judged more, I guess, on a bigger scale once the continuing resolution ends, and it, you see some of the work that he's been able to kind of accomplish or not by that time. In uh, one of the pieces you had, you know, it, and it's one that kind of connects him to Matt Gates, and Matt Gates gave him an incomplete on his record as well. What do you feel like the job of the speaker has been to this point, and where do you see them hitting the ground running heading into the new year? Well, I couldn't agree anymore with Congressman Gates. You know, I think Johnson is at least showing the ambition and the willingness to appeal to the America First movement, appeal to what America First and MAGA candidates want, you know, in releasing the January 6 tapes, even if it's not all of them, even if it's not every single hour from every single angle from every single camera, he's still willing to go out there and release the tapes that we want to see, reveal it to the American public, reveal it to federal government officials, you know, speak out against January 6th prisoners being held against their will and being unfairly treated in Washington, D.C. I think Speaker Johnson is doing a very good job. Um, I would give him an incomplete as well. I wouldn't necessarily say he's just done fantastic i don't think he's had enough time to really have a true impact you know coming in at the end of the year right near the holidays i mean he came in right near thanksgiving came in right near christmas and now congress is back in their homes they're i think they're going to they're come back after the new year starts of course but you know we'll really see what kind of grade he's going to get over the next few months but i, I think he's way better than kevin mccarthy i mean he, he, he was such a great move that kevin mccarthy left congress i think that speaks volumes to the kind of speaker that Matt johnson's going to be is that his his showing so far is more than kevin mccarthy did in his entire speaker tenure even if it's not an a plus grade or anything like that i think he's still done more than any gop speaker has done over the last decade, um, or at least has shown the ambition to get things done, the ambition to get people reelected and appeal to the America First movement. So I think he's done, he's done as good a job as he can, but yeah, I'd also give him an, an incomplete, and I'm looking forward to seeing what he does after the new year starts. Yeah, and even in this time of, of major transition within the Republican caucus, within the House of Representatives, and in the party in general, you are going to need people to be stopgaps who bring a little bit of normalcy uh, to everyday business other than what, I mean, listen, you know, the first six months of this Republican House, sure, there was a couple pieces of legislation that passed that everybody knew were going to be DOA in the Senate once they got there, but the fact of the matter was it was very bipolar, very, you know, multi-personality on an everyday basis. We've seen the curtain pulled back on Congress for the first time in a very long time, maybe much more than ever has been done before in this digital age we live in. And sometimes you're going to need someone who brings like almost a father-like tone and, and brings it back to the basics, God and country, uh, like Mike Johnson has to kind of, you know, get everybody refocused and, and like, listen, everybody's got a problem with each other. Everybody's frustrated about this, that, or the other thing, but here's the job we were sent here to do one, and we need to start doing it a little bit better than we had before. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I... I think what people fail to understand all of the time is we have to push it to the right so we can shift it back to the middle, if that makes sense. You know, yes. there's a lot of Republicans that need to have the same tone as we have. We know that not everybody is like us. We know there's things called swing districts. We know there are Republicans in blue states. We know that the, there are parameters and barriers set on by certain congressmen, certain congresswomen, where they are literally prevented from voting the way they may want to vote because of their district, because they're speaking for their district. So Mike Johnson understands that he understands how to talk to the moderates he understands how to talk to the establishment but he also understands how to talk to maga and how to talk to the america first movement and i think it's something that kevin mccarthy always failed to do mitch mcconnell fails to do republican leaders in general ron mcdaniel fails to do speaker johnson is maybe the only republican leader in the country besides donald trump himself that actually understands the america first movement understands what the movement is about you know, wants to have this, you know, anti-interventionist mindset or at least no foreign aid. He may not be as anti-war and anti-interventionist as me or you or Donald Trump is, but he at least understands that people don't want their taxpayer money going overseas for endless war. Like he understands that from an economic perspective and from a fiscal perspective. So he can appeal and he can talk to people like Matt Gates, but also talk to people in the establishment. He can talk to people like Nancy Mays. He can talk to people, even have conversations with, with Mitch McConnell 
McConnell and Paul Ryan without being persuaded to act like they are as leaders. Because if you look at the different tone, the different ways, the different people that, that Mike Johnson has been able to talk to, the interviews that he's, he's given, the press conferences he's given, there is, a like you said, a father-like tone that is allowing himself to be portrayed or at least speak as an establishment moderate, but is holding these undertones. And that's kind of what I, I think the media is getting correct about Mike Johnson, ironically enough. I think he does hold very conservative right-wing positions, and he holds MAGA America First positions. And that's exactly what the mainstream media doesn't want him to be. So I think they're right about that. Uh, and I think the establishment is kind of nervous about that, like to hear MAGA America First sentiments be portrayed in a tone that is very professional, that is very political, that is very, that at least sounds establishment. That's what scares them the most. It's kind of put, put in a hushed tone. I think that's what Matt Johnson is good at. Um, but I think that's understanding and coalition that a speaker has to have. They cannot always be raw, 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 you know, fireball throwing people in D.C. That, that's not the way it can be when you're speaker of the entire House of Representatives, as much as I want it to be, as much as you all want it to be, as much as the America First Movement wants it to be. We have to have somebody that is able to interpret in a way and talk to those across the aisle, talk to those at moderates, talk to the establishment within our own party and see what we can get done and see the absolute best policies that can be passed in the House of Representatives. We have to have somebody like Mike Johnson to get things done. And hopefully after the new year starts and which Congress is back in session, we'll be able to see more of that. No, I agree. And, uh, you know, it's going to be really interesting to see how this shakes out. He did go on Fox News a couple weeks ago and say if the, the border isn't secure, we've seen some of the worst apprehension numbers in the history of our country, just record shattered every day over the course of the last couple weeks. By the time this CR that they're living in right now isn't finished, he, he did say his exact words were the Republican House will be closed for business. I think we all know what that means. If there's a hill that Republicans are going to die on after already passing H.R. 1 uh, earlier in the year, then I, I think that's a good footing for Mike Johnson and, and will lead into uh, what his legacy will eventually be. Kenny, I want to se segue a little bit, talk about the general election. I did see another one of the heaters you sent me was, Obviously, we all know it here on Steak for Breakfast. Time to admit that the GOP primary is over and that Trump won. You want to tell our listenership how you're looking at the mathematical equation to Donald Trump becoming the nominee and just what went into the uh, content of that article? Absolutely. So, I mean, I mean, if you look at the primary polling, I mean, let's just talk about the GOP primary first, then we'll get into the general election. I mean, if you, if you look at the primary polling, he is ahead as any presidential primary uh, incumbent or presidential prim primary candidate has been in American history. Um, I mean, if you if you want to look at his comparison in Iowa, New Hampshire may be his closest state, but he's still being Nikki Haley by 20 points there. He's being Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley by 30 points in Iowa, let alone Ron DeSantis' own state in Florida, let alone her own state in South Carolina and other states around the country. The GOP primary is absolutely over. It is it is it has been done. It's really been done. I said this on OAN yesterday, the other day. It's really been done since, since the moment President Trump announced. And I think people like me and you and this podcast know that this is the way that things were always going to be. People wanted to, to pretend that Ron DeSantis was going to come from now, out of nowhere and use his victories in 2022 in order to override the president. But we know we know the America First base. We know MAGA. We knew that that, that was not going to happen. Trump, the, the, the Trump people, the Trump supporters are not all of a sudden going to go, hey, look at Ron DeSantis. That's not going to happen, and it hasn't happened. It's been the, the biggest disaster of a campaign that we have seen in the, in the, modern, in the modern era of politics. Uh, so the primary has been over for, for a long time. Um, I think it's good that we've seen people like Vivek Ramaswamy at least have some sort of a voice in, in, rep, in representing an, an ulterior to what the, uh, the maybe the future of the America First movement is going to be. If sure. it's not him, but at least his sentiments and his policies and positions are, are what we, we as America First people want to see in the future in 2028 and so forth. But the days of Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley as, as establishment politicians are over. The, the days of establishment politicians want to embrace MAGA, want to embrace America First, uh, America First uh, movement as a, a presidential campaign and, and uh, actually being authentic or genuine. Those days are over, and Trump is ahead by 20-plus points in every single state across the country. So that, that part is over. <laughs> However, in the general election, it's maybe even more over. 
Because if you look at the last four years and you look at since 2016, Trump is ahead in, in the real clear politics polling average. He has never been ahead in the real clear politics polling average in the history of his political career because polls are often skewed to not include people who Donald Trump brings out to the polls to actually vote for him. So if he is ahead by two or three points in a real clear politics polling average in in a plus six in swing states, even in states like Michigan, Michigan and Wisconsin that he won 2016, that's why they're going after the dude because they know they're, he's going to win. Like it has never been more clear to me in 2020 and 2016, and now in 2023 going into 2024 that Donald Trump's going to win the general election too. And I think that that is the realization that a lot of the mainstream media, a lot of the Republican establishment, that a lot of the Democratic establishment is trying to come to terms with is what can we do now? You know, that's why the Colorado Supreme Court has decided what they're going to decide. This decision came down very soon because the establishment was to prevent him from being on the ballot. Not because... That Colorado is necessarily going to side the election. I don't think Trump's going to win Colorado or anything, but they want to set a president to maybe swing states taking him off the ballot, to maybe states that actually matter taking him off the ballot, even the Republican establishment, some states taking him off the ballot because of the of the January 6th stuff. They want to set a precedent to prevent him from being president because right now he is on as clear as a path to be the next president of the United States, the 47th president of the United States, as we have ever seen in politics. It's the, the clearest path that anybody has ever seen. And that's what they're scared of, because in a lame duck term and Donald Trump's last Last term as president, he is going to enact so, so the policies that he wanted to enact without the establishment being in his ear, without him having to do things to win re-election. He's going to be able to do exactly what he wants to do in the last four years of his presidency. And it may be, if he gets in office, it may be the most impactful presidency of a Republican president that we have seen in American history for the, for the best reasons possible in anti-war sentiments and foreign aid and in our economy and taking a, a revenge against the deep state and the establishment we are going to see an enacting of revenge we're going to see an enacting of anti-deep state policy like we have never seen before in politics because donald trump is right now on the path to winning re-election and and it becoming the 47th president of the united states no, it's the truth, and, and, and you know, you make the case. It's very similar to the one we've had here on the show. You also wrote a great article about how the state of Arizona is the the key to unlocking the electoral map to President Trump. That's something we'd look to talk with you on. Next time you join us on the show, Kenny, this has been awesome sitting down with you today. Again, we hope you have the very merriest of holidays and a happy new year. We do want to be able to live link everything that you're working on, so links to Newsmax, Human Events, and townhall.com in our show description today but for anybody that wants to check out all the great work you're doing on social media where can they find you at they find me at katie cody tn on twitter you can find me kenny cody on about any other platform and you can go to my muckrack.com uh, uh archive you can find every article that i've written suppose since 2020 there if you're interested in anything but i hope you all have a merry christmas and a happy new year uh god bless you all and happy holidays thanks the same goes to you as too this guy is a fantastic columnist and as you just heard he's doing a lot of great works so a lot of great outlets right now. Mr. Kenny Cody, thanks for joining us on the show. Have a happy new year. Y'all too. Appreciate it, man. Shook off the holiday cobwebs to bang out two heaters. What do you think, Noah? Heaters. If you enjoyed this episode of the podcast and want to hear the now over 305 other editions of the show, make sure you're subscribed to us across every downloadable podcasting platform. We're talking about Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio. Hit that plus button, hit that follow button, make sure it's downloading to your electronic device. Also, find us on social medias. Twitter, get her true social on Instagram. Find the Steak for Breakfast accounts. Follow them and hit the notification bell. We want to thank all of our friends for coming down and sharing today. Host of Battleground Live, Mr. Sean Parnell. Dylan Law Center attorney, Ron Coleman. The New York Young Republican Club's very own Paul Ingracia. And columnist, Kenny Cody. You guys all helped make Steak great again guys we're almost to new year's but don't worry we'll squeeze one more in before the ball drops here on our friday edition of the show it's a little bit of a heater noah you better be buckled up for this one Mm. congressman Corey mills nice kingsley cortez of the dc young republicans okay vishbara nice and our stay exclusive with none other than the gay joker mr george santos nice (laughs) So don't worry, we'll be back in just a few days. So on behalf of the pod team, I'm Roan. Noah, later. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of the week. 
and take care. Thank you things you haven't dreamed of, Lebowski. Yeah, we believe in nothing. We believe in nothing, Lebowski, nothing. And tomorrow we come back and we cut off your Johnson. Excuse me? I said we cut off your Johnson! <laughs> <laughs>